94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, also 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. Occupy, a reader's theater of perspectives, written by Poet Laureate of Alameda, Mary Rudge. The Occupy movement, with its bold call for justice, born on September 17, 2011, captured the hearts of poets everywhere. They produced and continue to produce Occupy-themed poetry with readings at protests, cultural centers, bookstores, in online journals, at general assemblies, and on these airwaves. On today's radio presentation, Mary Rudge offers us some of the unique 25 poems, each written from the individual viewpoint within the diverse Occupy movement. Different community members, mostly poets, their friends, neighbors, and family, read the poems for you. You'll hear as rich and varied voices as our Bay Area holds. This amazing collection of poems, Occupy, a reader's theater of perspectives, is divided into two parts. Both are available for downloading at kpfa.org for 14 days after their original broadcast to share with family and friends. www.kpfa.org I dedicate this work to Raymond Zack. Raymond Zack was depressed because the government cut his employment funds. He walked out into the bay off the Alameda shore and even holding up his hands in the universal sign of I surrender and help and with a rosary in one hand stood there until he died of hypothermia as the police, the firemen, the coast guard, families picnicking on the beach, windsurfers all went by or just went on doing their thing or in the case of the firemen and police watched him and when he was dead and floated in the water, an unidentified woman went out and pulled him to shore. And no one was responsible. Because, I mean, that employment was caring for other people who couldn't care for themselves. He was depressed because he wouldn't be able to care for those that he was caring for, as well as for himself. Nobody called out and said, come back, we want to help you. Nobody called out at all he was just one of the occupants but because it was very close to home I live in Alameda my children grew up running and playing on the shore there and that was part of our happy life I just can't get that out of my mind I dedicate this work to Raymond Zach.
Occupy, a Reader's Theater of Perspectives by Mary Rudge, Alameda Poet Laureate. Picture the Northern California Oakland winter sun shining on the encampment of makeshift tents, banners, and signs around the City Hall Plaza renamed Oscar Grant Jr. Plaza by the community for the young African American victim of a police shooting. The sun splashes on the shores of Lake Merritt a few blocks away in the mini encampment of Snow Park. We focus in on the teach-in. The teach-in. We know those who infiltrate, those who love to hate, those who agitate with chaos for chaos' sake. A rock through a window, a confrontation, anything to disrupt the occupy. But be like Gandhi. Chavez, King, project out your inner peace. Be like the Irish who taught under trees and bushes when schools were closed to their needs. We teach in streets and doorways, on sidewalks and by the lake of peaceways we can take for change. We have the will and the skill for arbitration, negotiation. Reconciliation as we overcome by occupy teaching in the street singer. Oh, they foreclose the home of the free. They mortgage and sold for a little Wall Street gold. This land of equality. Oh, they foreclose the land of the free. Now we are the brave to occupy and save country that's home to you and me. This democracy. The homeless person. It's 6 a.m. and the homeless up and down the street must pick through trash. There'll be no breakfast if something's not found. There'll be no lunch or any other meal if something's not found. Maybe a few aluminum cans of trade value, thrown away hamburger scraps, half-eaten apple. Soup kitchens extend for blocks before 8 a.m. No more can be fed there, even for compulsory prayers. Old prayers that fed people have failed. That got people off the street into homes, not under bridges or in doorways under cardboard. And the god of jobs and neighbors, the god of milk and plenty, rice, potatoes, beans and coffee, the god of cornfields and tomatoes, waits expectant on the corners as the oil slick cars go past with others. Billfolds bulging on their way to make munitions in the strongest, richest, cleverest—they tell me—country of the modern world. The man in the blue tent. I was never so peaceful as here in my tent in Snow Park, demonstrating, nonviolent as the smelt in the lake, the moon on the water. My body is speaking for me, present, occupying. I occupy, marking my place on the lake shore like a bookmark in text of history. 
Let there be help for the 99%. Justice. Every cell of my body is saying, change. I change the position my body lies in, and I can see the moon more clearly. It is pregnant with promise and beautiful, perpetual. Even when changing, I know. I have seen light fall in the leaves and blossoms. The leaves sift down in the California night to the lake, and I wonder if really bounty from the 1% will trickle downward. I'm sharing my small tent with the person who told me he was homeless, looking for work, had come from a small town, no jobs there. Said he was 20, wanted to work to send money back to his mother so his little brother could stay in school. They were poor. He said he had never seen a lake like this, one surrounded by so many buildings. There must be jobs in all those buildings. I hear his breath as if he is breathing in hope in his dream. There is no TV here. I do not think of commercials, of cars, clothes, of Walmart floating a great ship to our shores filled with goods made in China. I do not think of the biggest loser, of obese teens eating fast food, or of the politicians fattened at the pork barrel. Their expense accounts are the country's expense. They are dividing the country like a pie, the Pentagon devouring more than half of the budget. The moon is full, pristine with promise, lighting the lake in Oakland as if shining could show us the way. Brother Raymond, the great river of visible happiness that flowed through his body, the sun shone on the silvery surface of whitewater rapids, although in him too were the depths of calm in the timeless flow among a direction where forests could appear, where trees were strong as cathedrals, and saints could dance and sing on the banks of the river, the sky above, far as the eye could see. I remember you. I saw you at St. Albert's, reflecting by a pond, glinted with koi, and arranging displays in the hall's glass cases or mailing letters back to those you had cared for in Mexico, true to your vow of service. I will not forget you. It seems you could be walking now among the tents by the lake or through the troubled streets in your worn but sturdy sandals, blessing each occupant, offering the pain in your spine to bear the weight of the pain in their hearts bringing water to heal their thirst, one of the 99%, but strangely different still, like Mother Teresa and more humble and powerless and poor by choice. The man watching the sun on the water, one of the 99% speaks at Lake Merritt, Oakland. I'll be in debt the rest of my life for expenses over what the insurance wouldn't pay. But I couldn't let her die like that. Cancer. I love her. We are happy together. Sometimes I bring the wheelchair down to the lake. I know there are people occupying at the port, confronting big business crossing the water. There are Occupy signs reflected in the estuary. If I came at night, 
I could see light from a cook fire from those who occupy on the other side of the lake. They do this for people so deep in debt, like me. I could push to the occupation in Snow Park or to the occupation a few blocks on at City Hall. But she is fragile. Her immune system cannot take crowds, and I am her caretaker. Once we had two jobs and lived better. Now I work nights while she sleeps. Today we are watching the sun shine on the water. The ducks swim, so ordinary but miraculous, too. They say these ducks make for life. Some people aren't like that, but I am. Look, see the sun shine on the water? We need light, the light in the mind. The van we lived in. The van with the psychedelic paintings was towed away with the 60s. Perhaps it is buried in a landfill some purists failed to halt in California. Perhaps it is living one of nine lives, transporting children and chickens, taking washing to the river in Mexico where the Aztec sun still shines, and it runs on gas from corn and beans and beer from the local tavern. For us, the door decorated by upside-down Chagall moons was always open. The mirror mosaic on the roof reflected God's smile, so amused with all creation. The 60s barefoot, back-to-the-land communes, plants and soups that healed and mantras chanted to bring peace. Our children didn't clamor for computer games, so many about killing and winning, but were happy with long hair and guitar. Then we wore free box clothes, and when we needed money, we sold necklaces of African trade beads or macrame or handmade dulcimers. No gold ornaments of the 1% on luxury cars will replace, on this earth, the joy of a painted van. The greedy will never occupy or understand the joy of our perfect universe in our painted van. An old 60s demonstrator speaks. It was tie-dye on the peace march. It was tie-dye in the park. Tie-dye of our t-shirts shining through the dark. It was we in love with Earth, and sure that we could save her. In Berkeley, where so many were in academic labor. Leading protests for change, oh yes, there was a time when all colors synchronized and together rightfulness was coming right before our eyes. But government, with tear gas and riot guns and more, destroyed our work so government could go on as before. But now can be the time when protests will right wrong and a better world can be created by a song. I remember that song, The International. Their money is far away. In Swiss accounts or tax-free Cayman Island banks, safe from the U.S. government, safe from programs to serve the people, the people wasting their energy, time, resources, passion, futilely occupying their own fantasy. They will never affect the elusive, seclusive, and all-powerful 1% who are international now. What do they care for any nation? 
The helpless have been starving in Sudan for years. The hopeless work for pennies in India and the Philippines. The hapless found no jobs in America. Immigrants can no longer harvest tomatoes in Nebraska. The crops rot in the fields. People are thigh-high in floodwater in Thailand and other countries. People are digging out bodies from under earthquake rubble in Turkey and other countries. The givers are overextended. They gave funds for disaster victims in Chile, China, Haiti, for victims of the tsunami. The hurricane in Louisiana still has effect. If the occupants are safe from natural disasters, they suffer from man-made issues injustices. Somehow, through all of this, the 1% will be unaffected. They will always be far away. They roll up their tinted windows on one of their several expensive cars and are chauffeured to another place. They turn the station on their car TV not to watch our news. Their neighborhood is not occupied. Their ride never disrupted. Their private jet takes them above it all. The city offices are occupied by people elected to keep a city at peace, keep the city functioning. The library, where the poor read, who have no tech treats, yes, keep the library open and the health clinic, get funds for elementary schools, more transit for people without cars. They are part of the 99% living and working in the neighborhood. To attract business to the city and keep people safe if they can is their job. Test their ingenuity and goodwill, if you will. The 1% are not concerned with local politics. Small businesses in city streets they have never seen. Their personal guards, servants, business staff is intact. What takes place on city streets? Their children do not need these schools. What takes place in downtown streets of the inner city has no meaning for them. If the occupants are safe from natural disasters, they suffer from man-made issues, barely surviving the suffering somehow, through hunger, no health plan, foreclosures, Wall Street manipulation, bank fee increases, unfair taxation of the poor, test their ingenuity and goodwill, if you will. The 1% are not concerned with local politics, small business in city streets they have not seen. This is not where they shop. They live far away. Occupy is only someone's fantasy of someone someday making a better living. Recuerdo. It's the same faces I saw in the demonstrations against the Vietnam War still here. Oh, wait. It's lookalikes. These are their children. Yet that seems a sign I carried. A child in Iraq died for my car, painted over with today's slogan. I thought I was still young, still in the same march, still in the same sit-in, still in front of the military fence chanting with others, illegal to kill, as they took us off to jail for our words. Father Vitale praying all the way. I thought I was again at outside the prison calling capital punishment should be a crime. At the school saying don't cut the programs. At the college saying cut tuition. I have been here before. I have never left the demonstration. 
See where that sidewalk is crumbled and broken from the weight of so many demonstrations? See where my shadow stays permanently like a tattoo, where that cement is broken with age, stained with the pain from the impress of so many efforts to change things. Our faces forever here, occupying the spaces before your eyes. We are the earth. Didn't we occupy the land before others came? Didn't such a word never exist in our vocabulary? Didn't we know we were here to just be, and as other creatures did, form ourselves into family and community? The wolf pack, the deer herd, the great oceans of thousands of buffalo cresting across the Midwest, the groups of silvery fish in the bountiful ocean. So we were, many tribes to say thank you and praise the earth for our food. Is occupied to take, possess? Don't we stand now among the occupants with our sacred sage blessing the earth's directions? We are here with our drums and flutes as we have always been. We destroyed no land. We left no waste. Only our ancestors' bones in the earth and the earth as it has always been. We live lightly but fully, with little trace, making no claim. Though the earth was ours, we were the earth's. We never left. We are here. Do we occupy? The poet speaks. The poem is here. I must have something to write on. Is there a book with a blank page I can tear out? A printed book I can write in the margins. It is night. I can write by moonlight. I am thinking occupy this sidewalk, this country for the cause of all freedom and justice. Everywhere there are ninety-nine percent who are poor, who are silenced, who spoke in peace, and I must write it down. The poem is here. There must be notebook under the pillow of my bedroll in this tent in the demonstration. So many here in the cold. I shudder. I must write. It is the act I know that changes things, word by word. The woman in the red tent. I love books, mostly adventure. Annapurna, the White Nile, the Odyssey are some favorites I've read in my peaceful room. I never thought Kilimanjaro, Mount Fuji, or the mountaintop king knew would be part of my real life too. Yet here I am in my red tent, sharing a peak experience with hundreds to occupy. You will read of me some day in history, though unnamed. I will be the occupant in a red tent. What an adventure bringing change for you, future reader, in your peaceful room. The traveler. I am thinking of myself in Hong Kong, photographing the effigy on the sidewalk of the student dead in Tiananmen Square. The eyeglasses beside him, with wire frames bent, crushed, lenses broken. The book pages torn, scattered, spattered with blood. The stuffed body askew, arms outflung, as beaten, shot down. They wanted the democracy too that they thought this country had. Now the foreclosures, the homeless in the streets. The students who cannot pay the university, the unemployed in desperation. On the news tonight, newscaster. Last on the news are quick clips of people in pup tents in the public plaza in the rain. Some standing in line to use the small and cold inside and smelly porta toilets, and their sleeping bags on cement, and no real way to cook food. Their cause: no more inequity. Let poverty be overcome. Corporate and other greed transformed. Foreclosures cease. Understanding, love prevail. People power, not people poor. Change the country from its median income below the poverty level. 
One percent hold wealth no more. The rain comes down. The people are outnumbered by police surround, but the people's ranks expand. The brief newscast tells, though they expect eviction too and riot clubs to their heads. Thank you for your nonviolence, the news showed the mayor say. Then the cameras cut to helicopters circling overhead and to the circle of police, heavy with riot gear. Occupant, taxpayers' hirelings now appear. The thing to fear: police, military, national guard. Violence by our design has now become our Frankenstein and our vampire, kept here and abroad, that sucks and sheds taxpayers' blood. Now to a close-up zoom of the newscaster as she says, "What is their plan? They occupy. Then what? No one knows." So the woman who knows the news said, and so signed off. You think this is the end? Watch us begin. See a butterfly can move her wings in Cuba. A tornado in Tennessee. You may not know what tomorrow will bring now, but just one person can change everything. Here we go now. You just heard part two of Occupy, a reader's theater of perspectives, written by poet laureate of Alameda Mary Rudge. The poems were read in order of appearance by Deborah James, announcer; Judy Wells, the teach-in; Carlos Ramirez, the street singer; Dale Jensen, the homeless person; Jim Lecoyer, the man in the blue tent; Nina Serrano, brother Raymond; Randy Fingland, the man watching the sun on the water. Marjorie Lynn Wagner, remembering the van we lived in. Darren De Leon, an old '60s demonstrator, speaks. Andrew McRae, I remember that song, The International. Deborah James, El Recuerdo. Cynthia Velasquez Lund, We Are the Earth. Rosetta Jewal Javier, the poet. The poem is here. Susan Sherell, the woman in the blue tent; Veronica Velasquez, the traveler; Adele Foley and Jack Foley on the news tonight. Or they say it's feast of phantoms. They say it's a donkey dog world.
to Poet to Poet. The series is produced by Nina Serrano. The technical director is Jill Montgomery, assisted by Joseph Estrada. Production assistants are Lenore Weiss and Libby Robinson. Song sung by Tom Golden. It was created at the studios of KPFA in Berkeley, California. Today's production can be performed by you, your classroom, in your own community. Contact me, Nina, at KPFA, N-I-N-A, at kpfa.org for a copy of the script, Blessings of Mary Rudge. Thank you so much for listening. April 2010, WikiLeaks released a U.S. military video of an Apache helicopter in Baghdad killing a dozen civilians. One month later, Private First Class Bradley Manning, 23 years old, was arrested and charged with leaking this video and other documents. He was put in brutal, solitary confinement. Now he's facing a court-martial. On January 31, KPFA will present a public event saluting Bradley Manning with Daniel Ellsberg, Patricia Ellsberg, and Kevin Gostola, co-author of Truth and Consequences, the U.S. versus Bradley Manning. We'll gather at First Congregational Church of Berkeley, 2345 Channing Way, on Thursday evening, January 31st at 7.30. This is a benefit for the Courage to Resist Defense Fund for Bradley Manning and for KPFA. There's wheelchair access. Advanced tickets, $12 through brownpapertickets.com or supportive bookstores. 